everyone, welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. Um, I'm your host, David Shee. Together with me, as always, is John Camino. John, how are you doing, mate? Hello, David. I'm, I'm really well, and uh, happy Friday to you, sir. Happy Friday. Likewise, mate. Always love a bit of a good chat about property uh, in regards to, uh, you know, what's been happening. And um, there's been a lot of moving parts, as as always, right, in, in, in 2023. And I think, you know, uh, everyone is very confused about the fact that we are seeing a price increase steadily phenomenon versus an interest rate increase phenomenon and with more potential rate to rises to come as well so um it's it's just one of those things that i don't know we were talking off air it's like as if like never say never type of scenario at the moment you know you would thought that 12 months ago if you're telling us that you're going to have an interest rate sitting at or official cash rate sitting at 3.85 in 12 months plus an actual positive figure going very strong with um, with property gaining momentum at the moment, I don't think anyone will believe you. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's strange, isn't it? You know, look, look we, we do obsess over what interest rates are doing and real estate's a very <laughs> real estate, uh, a very interest rate sensitive asset. But um, uh, all the powers that be require some sort of inflationary appreciation in real estate over over time so mm-hmm. i think real estate's i mean i was in a discussion with another guy about about whether anything has changed in real estate and i think real estate is just doing what real estate does it's probably going to double every 12 years like it kind of always does and uh interest rates are going to go up and down so maybe there's we're not living in particularly unique times but other than the inflation which will come which will come to Mm, yeah, no, that that is true. That is true. I guess we'll uh, we will uncover that through our June core logic data, uh, which was just released hot off the press. Um, so we'll touch on the, that. But uh, before that, look, we were. Uh, I think the other biggest piece of news that came out, um, literally just yesterday, was the uh, April CPI data. Um, so the consumer pricing index, in other words, measurement of, um, essentially the um, uh, the inflation. Uh, monthly figures so last or i should say april inflation is sitting at currently at 6.8 percent which is i think the expectation was around 6.4 from memory if i'm not mistaken yeah so it came in higher than expected um and mind you our listeners the march cpi data was sitting at 6.3 percent so it was actually a jump from 6.3 to 6.8 percent but i think this is where the narrative gets interesting um, because if you look at the headline figures, you might go, oh, crap, you know, this is uh, this is looking bad because we are going back up again. Mm. Um, but not until you get into the devil of the details, you know, you might be able to find some interesting trends. And I know, John, you did a bit of work in looking into it, um, basically, in terms of you know, uh, on, on, uh, extrapolating why there was a jump or why, why, of course, potentially a jump. Do you mind sharing that information with our listeners in terms of why it's probably not all bad news? Mm. Yeah, so there, there was a, there was a little bit of a, a quirk in the in the April numbers for twenty twenty three, and what, what um, so the biggest movers were uh, fuel and rents, right? Mm. So rents were up about eight point nine percent, and fuels were up about seven point nine percent. But the fuel number is is a little bit misleading, and what the reason for that is that in twenty twenty two, in April twenty twenty two, a year ago, they uh, removed fifty percent of the fuel excise, so they dropped the price of fuel. And then they reinstated the fuel excise in October 2022. So between April last year and October of last year, the fuel excise went back in 
And because we're looking at a 12-month period uh, from April to April, all it's capturing is the reinstatement of the fuel excise. And so what it's doing is it's pumping up the cost of uh, cost of fuel, the retail price of fuel. And my guess is uh, we'll need to get to October 2023 to fully flush that out of the system. So we we need to lap that fuel uh, excise, excise yeah. uh, cost because actually uh, fuel costs have been coming down over the last 12 months. Yeah. But because they've put the fuel excise back in, it's not really being reflected in the CPI. So that's a, that's a quirk. Uh, the market didn't like the the CPI number. It did surprise, as you said, so they were expecting it to come in a bit lower, and it sort of bounced back up to ooh, February, the February number of six point eight percent. And look, it, it made the market the the I think the ASX was down two hundred points or something that day, and uh, it made the market rethink um, interest rate expectations. So the the RBA are meeting on Tuesday next week. Uh, the fifth of June, and the the odds have gone up that they might they might uh, uh, un, unwind the pause. They might need to put rates up again. So yeah, yeah. That, that's always the danger. But look, if they read that that fuel excise wrinkle into the the numbers, and I haven't seen anyone take strip that out, but maybe it, the the CPI wasn't so bad if you account for that excise uh, adjustment. What, what you would, yes, on? certainly wouldn't be seeing a six point eight percent if you uh, if you put that mm. into a consideration. But having said that, yeah, I'm sure the uh, um, the smart brains in the RBA, hopefully, they will be able to spot this uh, information and be able to make a appropriate call um, in that sense whether to to take into account of the um as you said the fuel exercise which was was it 50 percent um essentially so they kind of like halved the the fuel cost um isn't it in the, in that well it was half the excise I'm not half the okay. percentage of the total fuel cost it is but I think I think like most of what we pay at the pump, taxes so it would have been it would have been a reasonable chunk mm-hmm. so the way i understanding it is basically it's like a manual intervention um from april to october last year because they they're aware that the petrol prices have gone too high the the morrison government stepped in to help people by making petrol a bit cheaper um essentially and that's why uh at the moment when we compare to a cheaper fuel prices last year around this time it's it's hence the reason why i had a jump of about 6.9%. Yeah. Yeah. But don't forget rents. Rents are, uh, there's no distortion there. Rents are yeah. 8.9%. <clears throat> so the annual, yeah. And these are national figures too. So if you, you know, and it doesn't sort of break it down by property type, but rents are, uh, you know, broadly speaking, up about 10%. They were going up before April last year. So if you would look at a two year figure, they're probably up 20%. So mm. yeah, cost of livings are certainly higher. That said, the, the cost of the, the, the increase, let's say the, the cost of uh, rent has gone up by 10% over the last 12 months. Yep. Uh, for those mortgage holders who are about to have their ver- their fixed rates come off and the variable rates come on, their cost of funding will probably go up 60%. So it, the I think the mortgage holders are um, probably going to see a sharper a turn in their cost of living than, than renters, but it's affecting everyone. It is affecting everyone. I think that's why, you know, we've been talking about the mortgage cliff mm. for a bit of while now. Um, you know, for those people who have experienced it, obviously they understand, you know, the repayment could jump up as little as $500 to $1,000 extra per month. And where are you going to find that extra money to be able to fill in this gap 
um, in that. So, you know, a lot of my conversations with investors have been, whether it's big portfolio owners or small portfolio owners, they are, some of them are considering if they're not able to hold out due to the cash flow issues, they will have to be selling. Um, that's just unfortunately, unfortunate way of looking at it. And as you and I discussed before coming on air as well, John, if if you haven't hold the property long enough, then there's probably not enough equity or enough gain to be able to justify that sell. You know, if you don't, and you might have to make a call to say, you might have to sell one of the earlier properties in order to make up in that scenario, which no one wants to, to, to do. But the reality is, you know, that jump in repayment is going to kill people's cash flow. That's that's just mm. what it is. Um, and, and, you know, like I can't even, in current scenario, I can't even refinance people out to interest only, even if people wanted to, serviceability is an issue. We still have the 3% buffer right now on APRA uh, at the moment. So it's going to be, I, I, the way I look at it, John, even though there's not a lot of stress sales on the market, I think it's actually quietly ticking up. I think mm. it's actually quite ticking up. I'm seeing, and, and this is probably a good segue for us to talk a little bit about what we're seeing at the moment in, in the market, right? So um, I'm seeing a lot more agents, sales agents advertising us off market. They want quick, fast transactions. Uh, now, so that's probably some of some part, you know, some sellers will probably don't want to go through the marketing fee, which I can understand. And there's a lot of demand at the moment with not a lot of stock. So that off market type of strategy could be, a way to be able to sell at a good price. Um, but at the same time, the sales agent's not going to tell you, oh, it's a fire sale, mate. You know, the seller is actually struggling. But, you know, the off-market number of stock is starting to increase in comparison to what I'm seeing maybe two or three months ago. I don't know what you're seeing, John. What do you think? Uh, I'm I'm not seeing that. I mean, I, I see off-market properties all the time. Yeah. But what what certainly what I what I've seen very recently is because there's no stock and selling agents are trying to manage properties, but also trying to manage their own brands. Mm-hmm. If they sell too much off the market, they can't have the for sale sign out the front with their picture and the and the the, the company logo on it. So I I was doing some work recently where uh, the the agents wouldn't sell off market only because they needed the for sale sign to go out the front. I see. You get some marketing out there. Um, Branding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some branding out there. So normally in in a, in a market where you've got reasonable supply, they can do a mix of off market and a mix of on market, but at the moment, and we'll come to the the core logic data, but, but uh, volumes are down 25% over the last average of the last five years. And the average of the last five years has been very low. Mm. So, uh, you know, there's no stock, so I'm I'm not seeing everyone wanting to do off market. Got it. Okay. Um, and look, you know, if the theory if the theory here is right, in the sense that uh, there's going to be a lot more fixed rate mortgage cliff coming off in the second half of the year, where people will feel the pinch, then yeah. there will be more supply that's coming on because not because of people wanting to sell, but they may have to sell, mm. uh, which would then mean uh, there'll be more stock available uh, and um, prices may soften a little bit in terms of that. What do you think, John? Yeah, I, I'd say if I was if I was going to buy, I wouldn't, I would uh, not try to predict what was going to happen in the market yet because almost every prediction has been wrong. No one thought that prices were going up sharply this year. Mm-hmm. It's happened and not, not that many people predicted that they would come down last year either. Um, so... Uh, 
parking, I don't think you should bother forecasting and just buy when you've got finance. Uh, I'm nervous about the talk of cliffs. Like I, I personally will be impacted by the the fixed rate cliff, and 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 I think it's meaningful. I think mm. that a lot of people will be affected. Yes. But I've we've been hearing about cliffs for a long time. There's all sorts of cliffs um, in the past, and they've never quite materialised. So I don't expect a big. So here's the reason I don't think that there's going to be a big um, increase in supply once the, uh, the the variable rates kick in. Okay. A couple of reasons. One is that the LVR of the entire Australian market or the Sydney market is about 23%. So there's not that much. So a, a big, big, big chunk of people who own properties own them outright and they don't have any debt and they don't care if interest rates double. They, sure. they won't, um, uh, it won't affect them. Mm-hmm. The second thing is of the people who have debt, uh, it's only really owner-occupiers owner who are going to feel it a lot. So we can say most investors are going to be okay. And then within the owner-occupiers, owner um, it's only the people who bought in, let's say, the last five, six, seven years that are going to be really impacted. Because if you bought a house in 2006, let's say, I'm just making the number up, you've had uh, nearly 20 years to pay some debt off. So you'll be okay too. So I think that the, the people who are going to experience some pain, and it'll be someone like me, um, there aren't that many. There aren't that many people who are going to have life changing pain from the reset of mortgage prices because there's not that much uh, debt as a percentage of the asset values out there. I, mm. I really think it's going to be the people who got in last. They're going to have pain, and owner occupiers, not investors. But I, I could be wrong. Oh, look, I, 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 I partially think that you're right on that john but at the same time i also think you know as a as an investor who has i mean we are not even talking about significant property portfolio mm. here even if you have a pro- property portfolio i'm just thinking if for myself if i if i if i say if i was fixing myself on a two point something percent and now a lot of my portfolio is coming off to a six percent investment p and i rate and we have to pay mm. p and i that's a big jump in terms of the repayment. Now, not everyone obviously hold the portfolio like us in a sense, but even just a ordinary middle class, someone who maybe have one or two investment properties plus some own occupier debt. Mm-hmm. Sure, the owner occupier debt comes off. That's the biggest expense that's going to jump. The investment properties is probably going to have to have a certain level of impact as well, depending on whether they're paying interest only or principal and interest. So overall where they're going to find that money where they're going to find that money to a to a degree and i'm talking about the ones probably not the ones with a lot of buffer because you know like um people have been spending quite a lot in terms of travel accommodations a lot of that stuff um but yeah that's 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 what i'm really uh worried about at the moment is the cost of living going up the mortgage repayment has gone up, has jumped up a lot. It's a double whammy for mm. the everyday Australian, especially the middle class, which is what we're touching on. The middle class is the one that gets squeezed the most at the moment as the fixed mortgage cliff comes off. How are they going to do it? How are they going to manage? What are they going to do? Unless APRA is willing to relax a little bit and allow those mortgage prisoners to move out, which, you know, like we touched on last time, with uh, one of the major bank coming out to try to reduce the assessment buffer, but that's only for P&I repayments. So we're not talking about helping investors. They are helping those mortgage prisoners who are locked with a high owner-occupied home loan mm. rate and to allow them to be able to refinance to potentially a lower 
interest rate. But we're still talking about 5.7, 5.8%. We're not seeing a two or three in the front. So yeah, that's, so while I do agree with you, yes, there's a lot of mm. people who don't have mortgages, but those people who have mortgages, they're going to be squeezed very, very hard. And yeah. what are they going to do about it? I'm not too sure, John. That's the, that's the yeah. issue. Look, there's a, um, I mean, everyone who's worth their salt is predicting a recession in the second half of the year. So mm. everyone is predicting. I think uh, Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan came out and, and uh, said, he said that the chances of a recession in the second half of the year are 100%. Um, the Commonwealth Bank put, put a forecast out for interest rates. Uh, they said that they would start declining by Q4 of this year and, and well into 2024. Um, so th there's a lot of pain, I think, on the horizon uh, caused by this. And um, the, but, but maybe the short, pithy answer to your question is, uh, where's the money going to come from? And maybe the answer is you will own nothing and you will be happy. Maybe this is uh, the answer is that we all become a nation of renters and uh, and just we're just consumers. No one owns any assets. And maybe that was always the plan. I mean, who knows, right? Uh, but I yes, I could see that little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people have savings. So wealthy people have have buffers, and and they're going to going to be fine. But I agree that this the middle class gets uh, always has to pay for everything. Hmm. And and I think that's the biggest issue at the moment. Now, speaking of wages or speaking of income as well, mm. right? Like we're, we're just also chatting off the air because one of the things that uh, uh, the minimum wage has just gone up uh, mm. literally a couple of hours ago, you know, the, the Fair Work Commission has decided the minimum wage is to increase by about 5.75%, um, which means, you know, about 180,000 Aussies who's on a minimum hourly wage would see a $1.20 increase so their hourly minimum hourly wage would go to about $22.61 per hour okay now i know um i think it was probably earlier this week or last week um rba governor philip Lowe has come out basically advising the labor government please do not increase the wages because it's gonna go against inflation it's gonna go against all the interest rate that we're trying to increase it's gonna go against all the work that we're trying to do so please don't do that. Now, 5.75%. <laughs> it's probably not significant, but it's still relatively high in comparison to maybe a 2 to 3% of general CPI increases, which is what they're used to do. Now, the question for you, John, do you think, do you think this is going to cause that wage spiral? In other words, you know, the, the wages keeps going up. People's got a bit more money now to spend. They go, ooh, I've got a bit more money and I can pay. And then that's going to cause inflation to be sticky longer than it should be. Mm. What do you think? So I'll make two quick points before I answer the question. Um, the first one is that you, you mentioned that the RBA said, oh, you, you know, putting the putting the minimum wage up and all the hard work that we here at the RBA are trying to do to, to get inflation down. And there you go and throw a spanner in the works by putting the minimum wage up. I mean, the RBA caused inflation. Inflation doesn't come from anywhere else. And so the, the RBA complaining that someone else is... is um, creating inflationary pressures is like the arsonist turning up to your house with a bucket of water saying, I'm here to help. Uh, have, what would you like me to do? It's like, no, Wait, no, no, no. You, you stay away. You, you, you cause the mess. That's just the first thing about the, the RBA sort of uh, standing on ceremony there. The other thing is, um, so the, the, the answer to the question, and I'll tie my second point into this is sort of how many people are on minimum wage and who's on minimum wage. There aren't that many people on minimum wage. 
there's it, it's it's largely young people in hospitality, gen, generally speaking, right? So you don't get minimum wage in, in places like manufacturing. They've got the, the manufacturing generally, you know, have high wages and and so on. So you're generally talking about 15, 16 year olds in McDonald's and those sorts of things. They're not, no one, not no one, very few people are raising a family on minimum wage. It's generally young people, entry level positions. Um, so do I think it'll lead to a, a wage, a, a, a fan the, the flames of inflation? I actually don't think it will. Uh, I don't think that there's enough people on minimum wage that will affect it. Um, inflation essentially makes minimum wages irrelevant. So mm-hmm. if you've got a minimum wage of $10, but then you've got this hyperinflation, no one's getting paid $10 anymore. Um, and this is what happened in the post-war period in the US that essentially the minimum wage became irrelevant. But uh, no, so I don't think I don't think there'll be a wage price spiral like the 70s. I, I'm not, I wouldn't expect that. I think it's politics really. What if um so so let me let me ask a follow-on question based on this then. If the minimum minimum wage goes up, then would that cause another round of discussions in terms of what other people should be getting, which would then lead to potentially the wage price spiral? Because they say, hey, you know, the minimum wage people are getting 5.75%. The private sector should also be asking for that. The public sector should even probably ask for that as minimum as well. Would that cause a bit of a, I guess, a butterfly effect? essentially to the rest of the industry especially those unions which are been fighting very very hard in terms of pushing up wage for public sectors um and potentially private sectors what do you think uh, t- t- potentially i mean there aren't many union workers on minimum wage uh but uh look uh, p- potentially there, there could be sort of sympathy strikes and sympathy mm. sympathy sympathy requests i think you'll probably find that in the public sector a bit more um so it de- it definitely could have a spiral. Uh, certainly, certainly. Um, I, I mean, I think that there's also a sense that if you can ask for a pay rise, you got to do it now, um, because infl- everyone's talking about inflation. So I think I think that that matters. Um, yeah. G- generally speaking, I mean, this is an unpopular view, but people tune in to Spark Your Fire for interesting perspectives. Um, the 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 minimum wage as a concept, it, it can be damaging to people. Uh, uh, on lower incomes. Yeah. So minimum wages are great for rich people because it's almost irrelevant, but it's actually what it can do is it, if you're, it, if you don't have many skills, which is all of us when we're starting out and you're worth, if you're worth $7 an hour, but the minimum wage is $8 an hour, mm-hmm. you're unemployable. And that's the problem with the minimum wage. It puts, um, a minimum price on something that is less valuable than that. So let's think about who who, who might be struggling to meet the, the productivity re- requirements of a minimum wage. It might be people who don't speak the local language. It might be people who don't have any skills. It might be people who left school early. So I know, I know that the minimum wage sounds compassionate uh, and it, often it is, but if you don't have the skills to meet the minimum requirement, you kind of just get left behind and society moves on. Mm. And what you've missed out on is a bunch of skills that you would have learned on the job, how to to iron your shirt and speak nicely to customers and all those sorts of things, and you miss out on that. So, yeah, so by raising the, the minimum wage, you know, it's it's not always as nice as it sounds. You do, you do leave people behind. Yeah. People, okay. Vulnerable people. Yeah. That's part of the capitalist uh, society to a degree. Isn't it, John? 
unfortunately. Yes. So whether so the idea in the free market is that prices give signals, yep. and wages are a price, and uh, it's it's uh, the, the the reason why capitalism leads to full employment most of the time is that you've priced everything the right way, including very skilled people and very unskilled people. And so, yes, uh, but, but what it does is capitalism doesn't want to leave anyone undeployed. It wants to, it wants to, uh, you know, kind of get value from everyone. But if, if you're unskilled and there's a minimum wage, it's, it's not going to, Mm. you've been left behind a little bit. Yeah. Cool. All right. (laughs) <laughs> good i think there's a bit of Let economics 101 that's uh yeah <laughs> that's uh that's that's parked at but i, but I yeah. think we definitely um straight but i think it's a good discussion basically uh based on because yeah there has been a lot of concerns or as you said maybe it's a false alarm given the fact there's a lot of people playing yeah. politics out there just to say don't do this etc etc um yeah or or maybe unfortunately rpa governor at the moment because he's probably got a couple more months to go and it's just like well mm. let me uh let me let me let me be on the headlines again given the fact that i might not be re-elected so i might as well say what i want at this point in time yeah purely yeah. hypothetical so all right um let's get into some interesting data for june how about that um so we've got uh the core logic data uh for june which um shows pretty much a sea of green at the moment yeah um, it really does <laughs> the national the national uh housing value has rose by 1.2 percent across a combined capital and regionals some of the most stellar ones sydney and brisbane sydney has gone up 1.8 percent for the month and brisbane at 1.4 percent for the month which is mm. stunning like stunning um and it again is. look at yeah, I think we're both shaking heads, to be honest. But this is uh, the main the main attribute to this. I still think is the um, is the supply shortage, as we mentioned before. You know, the supply shortage we've both experienced it. There's actually a sense of FOMO that's lingering in the market at the moment. Mm-hmm. If you're one of those buyers that's been trotting to open inspections, um, you know, you see a flood of people coming through or people lining up to see inspections again. Um, and the properties sold within a week or two, that's basically FOMO that I'm seeing in a market. It's it's not happening everywhere, um, but you know, I guess from my observation, I you know when I go to inspections, when I talk to agents, you know, especially when agents kind of go, you might not see this property in the next inspection. So put in your best offer, whatever, right? So um, yeah. and he's, and look, in all fairness, that guy's right. You know, the property sold in one week. In, in 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 that and and I think there's probably about 30 groups through um in the first open as well so that sense of fomo at the moment is driven by low supply and as we discussed it's probably not going to change in a short period of time um traditionally winter is the quieter period as well so that's not helping either so I reckon what's um I don't know I'm um you know the, the that's just hypothetically assumed that interest rates going to go up again next month um do you reckon that the trend, the current trend that we're looking at for core logic, is going to continue, John? It's it's moving up very quickly. I, I'd 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 be a brave. I mean, what I'm seeing is reflected in these numbers. I'm certainly seeing mm. uh, a lot of enthusiasm. It's 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 actually a seller's market at the moment. So um, the buyers are, are chasing the market up. Although it, it the price the, the market is still down from a year ago. So it's. Um, it's relatively better value, I suppose. Mm. Uh, do I think it'll continue though? Gosh, 
I mean, I know predictions are more interesting than uh, than retrospective. Well, I always but, ask you that right question, John. I, I still think for 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 the next couple of months, and I think that I think that we'll probably end the year nine percent higher than where we started, okay. given that we fell by fourteen percent. Um, I still think that by the end of the year we'll still be below the peaks, but mm. mostly have erased it. So, mm-hmm. but one point eight percent a month, two percent—that's uh, it's a lot. I mean, annualized, it's twenty percent growth, right? It's huge. So, I, I, yeah. So I don't, I don't expect that can, to continue. Yeah. Okay. Um, any other, any other particular highlights that uh, you want to raise out of the um, out of the June data pack that's worth discussing? Yeah. So the. the the only other thing, uh, a couple of things actually. The main thing is that it's the upper versus the lower quartile where it's really interesting. So overall, we can see um, that in let's say let's take Sydney, um, and I don't mean to be too Sydney centric, but over the last quarter, Sydney property prices are up four point five percent. But the upper quartile, the the premium end, the prestige end, that's mm. up about six percent over the last quarter. So it's it's oh, doing wow. about one and a half times. The average of the 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 um, the city and the lower quartile is doing about half the growth. So uh, the lower quartile is doing about two point six percent growth of the quarter compared to four four point five percent on average, mm. compared to about six percent for the upper quartile. So it, it it doesn't necessarily mean yet that the rich are getting richer and all that sort of stuff. Uh, that I guess ultimately happens over time, but. Uh, the, the upper quartile fell the hardest, fell the sharpest, fell first back in 2021, uh, 2022. So in some respects, that those markets are just playing a little bit of catch up. And the obvious markets there are the northern beaches and the eastern suburbs. Yep. Uh, they they really got slaughtered at the beginning of the um, pandemic. Sorry, the, the beginning of 2022. 2022, yeah. And they're doing really well. I mean, there are uh, uh, articles in the paper about some big eastern suburb sales. So... That would be the first thing. Uh, the, the, the second thing is that um, houses are outperforming units. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not what I would have expected to see uh, during a period of higher interest rates. So mm. when interest rates go up, you normally see higher yielding properties to start to, to come into favour. In the yep. same way that when interest rates came down, houses became more attractive because they yield less. I would have thought the opposite would have happened. But actually, houses are still outperforming units. And I find that strange. So the clearance rates tell a slightly different story. The clearance rates are saying units have a high clearance rate by a, a small amount. But if you just look at the the percentage growth, it's all about houses. So to give you a, an example of, um, uh, let me give you Sydney again, uh, or let me give you let me give you the combined capital. So overall, the combined capitals rose by one point four percent. Uh, houses went up by 1.5% and units went up by 1%. Mm-hmm. Sydney, um, Sydney went up by 1.8% for the month. Houses went up by 2.1% and units by just over 1%. So houses are outperforming units. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have predicted that. I would have thought that the, the, the high yields and units would have sucked some of that cash in. So surprised to see that. Um. And lastly, I would say that the rents, the rental market is still hot, hot, hot. Yeah. Uh, and the, you know, and units 
are hotter than than houses. Uh, so we can see that the cha- you know Sydney Sydney rents for houses uh, for units are going up at near at nineteen point three percent. Brisbane sixteen percent. Melbourne. 15.5%, Perth, 14.7%. The only place where it's moderate to normal growth is Canberra at 1.5%, but unit rents are going crazy. Um, houses aren't quite the same, interestingly. So, mm. if, so if I look at Sydney, Sydney's up at 9.5%, and the uh, rent increases for units are double that. So rents are going to stay high for, for quite a while. And I don't think that's going to change within right. our the immediate, right? Like we've got all these immigrants coming in. They all need a place to live. They either have to rent or they have to buy. So it's just fueling the competition given the fact that our dwelling construction rate is also at the lowest in the mm. record, I think, at the moment. So, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think for renters, I feel for you, uh, but I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon, um, in honesty. Um, so there's just going to continue to be a competition uh, moving forward. Yep. It's getting um, worse. Yeah, it's it's on it's an unfortunate fact, which then would make uh as we've been spoke about uh the, the yield, the yield coming back. Uh but yeah, unfortunately not good for CPI either. But the yields looking a lot better across the board, which then would attract the uh the investors coming back into the market, hopefully. Hopefully. So uh, but yeah, look, you know, you are right, John. I'm 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 a bit surprised to see the houses still performing so strong at the moment. Um, I would have thought that the affordability ceiling at the moment with the higher rates rises is with the high rates is, is actually capping people from being able to purchase in that sense. But maybe I was wrong. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. It's it's just not one of those things that we would thought that it would um, it would happen logically, which comes back to why we say never say never, right? Like you, yeah, you yeah. think that logically this is what should be happening, but it's not always how it turned out yep. to be the case. Um, there's too many factors at the moment at play now, including international money potentially. You know, there's a lot of international money that's coming in. Maybe that's fueling the premium markets and the upper end of market because they don't really need to borrow as much as we spoke about. So mortgage induction or affordability is less of an impact to them um, in that sense when they have a lot more money coming in, right? Uh, but the lower, you know, the unit side of things and what I think, you know, when people competing with units for Sydney, that is, most mm. of the time they probably need to borrow to a level of degree because yeah? we're talking about maybe the 600 to the 800 or even a mil. That price bracket is still relatively affordable for first-home buyers, small families. They will need a yeah. mortgage in that case. So that's why that... Again, I'm hypothesizing here. That's probably why the unit market hasn't performed as strong because they are being impacted. That bracket is being impacted more by the affordability issue. In other words, they can't borrow as much. They've been mm. hit by the borrowing capacity. Whereas for people who's able to play in the houses market, you know, uh, talking about Sydney, maybe a two mil, three mil, that kind of thing, they might not need to borrow that much. They got a lot more cash on hand and therefore they can go a bit further or harder. Yeah, Maybe. no, absolutely. Look, and you raised something really interesting just then. You talk, you mentioned uh, inter- uh, overseas buyers. Yes, such a good point. One thing we 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 don't talk about enough is the impact of uh, the currencies, the Australian dollar, on the attractiveness of of Australian real estate to overseas buyers. And I can tell you that um, p- part of what kicked in when the Aussie dollar went below seventy cents, and now it's around sixty five cents. I think maybe sixty six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is that Overseas buyers started to get really interested in, in Australian property. So one of the things is we're seeing, we're seeing, uh, uh, seeing property prices go up and interest rates go up, and we can't quite connect the two. Part of it is because 
the dollar just made uh, prices another 10% cheaper mm. to overseas buyers. And so overseas buyers are certainly coming in and I'm getting inquiry from people overseas as well. So uh, so that that's interesting as well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, uh, look, I think uh, any other highlights that uh, you think is worth mentioning from the June data pack, John? No, I think we've no? uh, picked out the, the, the big things. Okay. All right. Well, I reckon that's pretty much a, uh, a wrap then in that case uh, for this week. I think there's a lot of the chat about properties, which, uh, you know, we're just all trying to make sense out of uh, what it means. But, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, like I said, at the moment, it's the property market is just such a fascinating story. Every week, every mm. every time when we get together, when the new data comes in, when um, when you try to piece all these puzzles together, try to make sense of it. There's always some more some something else that yeah. kind of um kind of jumps out. So um, yeah. Well, real estate's a really emotional asset, and people love it. And and even the people who are in a period of not buying, they're they're thinking about buying, or they're preparing to buy, or they're saving up to buy. So real estate's um real estate different to other assets, and it's uh, it's you know it's where you raise your family. It's it's uh it's what you I mean banks love real estate. Mm. So. Yes, we, we, it's going to go up and down, but it's always going to be is an essential. It's a national sport, as we always yes. call it for Aussies, right? But uh, hopefully yeah. it's not going to turn into an international sport because <laughs> it's yeah. like at the moment it's heading that way. So uh, anyway, um, listeners, thank you for joining us for another week. And uh, look, you know, um, as always, uh, do your own due diligence. Uh, anything that we have spoke about here is general in nature um so please uh if you are taking advice please go and see your specific advisors before doing so um but otherwise um have a great week um and uh we will see you guys again in another episode of spark your fire cheers john and david